0: well good morning. good morning how is everybody happy father's day and here in live if you are joining us in amped if you're in blend roane county Bearden, good to be with you on this father's day weekend and let's just all agree thank god for bacon and uh that's just i think we can all be on the same page with that um I just want to let you know from from the outset, it is Father's Day weekend, and I've been in church services before where the pastor really intends to be encouraging to all the dads out there, and so they do a special Father's Day message, and I don't know if you've ever been at a church like that, and you walk away from the Father's Day message, and all the dads are walking out going, well, still don't measure up. Yep, I still have a lot to do, and uh, we're not doing that today. In fact, what we're going to do is we're actually going to stay in the book of Mark where we're talking about how do we become more and more fluent in the gospel? Gospel simply means good news. So how, as good news people, do we could be, how does that just become naturally who we are? And here's what I would contend, that if we wanna be good dads, if we wanna be good moms, grandparents, aunts, uncles, kids, whatever, then truthfully, all we need to do is look at Jesus. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, guess what he does? He does the supernatural by transforming us from the inside out. As we stay fixed on him, the fruit of the spirit begins to grow in our lives, and I would say that we will, over time, become better dads, better moms, better grandparents, why? Because of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as he transforms us. Amen? There, that's as close as we're getting to a Father's Day message today, okay? Are we good? Here's what I would say, is that that transformation process, being transformed by the Holy Spirit, that is the gospel, You see, oftentimes, we focus on the part of the gospel, and and the way we say it around here is that Jesus saves us and he transforms us. And we place a lot of emphasis on the saving part. And is that important? Absolutely. The gospel is no less than the fact that Jesus came and lived a life that we couldn't live. He went to a cross to bear the punishment that your sin, that my sin deserved, and yet death couldn't hold him, the grave couldn't contain him, and he rose again to new life, and he gives us that new life. Is that the gospel? Absolutely. But the problem is, is if we stop there, If we stop at the fact that Jesus saves us, here's what we have a tendency to do. We have a tendency to reduce the gospel to a prayer. And so we pray a prayer, and that's the good news, that's the gospel, and then there's a tendency to think that we move beyond the gospel into the deeper things of the faith. Can I just tell you, we never move beyond the gospel, We just keep going further and further in, why? Because Jesus absolutely saves us. Is that vital? Absolutely, 100%. But he doesn't stop there, he saves us and then he gives us his Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is transforming us from the inside out and so we never move beyond the gospel, we just go further and further and further into the good news of Jesus Christ. And I have gotta tell you, that is a supernatural work. And what we're gonna see, our big idea today is simply that, is that the good news, the gospel, is supernatural. That work that Jesus does in our lives is a supernatural work, and what we're gonna see this weekend as we dive into Mark's gospel is that the kingdom of God, that Jesus is ultimately the king that is ushering in a new kingdom. And that's what we're going to see. So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to be. It'll be on the screen if you have it on your phone, whatever you got. Turn it on, open it up. Mark chapter 1, and here's what it says in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So this is Jesus being the he. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. I love when the Bible throws in little digs at people. It's like the scribes are sitting there and the people are like, this is incredible. They teach, not like those guys, not like the religious leaders. Mark makes sure he includes that. Verse 23, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Now, you gotta understand a little context. They are up in the northern part of Israel, they're around the Sea of Galilee, it's a lake, and so they're around this lake, and Capernaum is right on the the lakeside, it's a lakefront property, it's the Teleko village of Galilee, okay? And so, they're hanging out here, and Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, and this unclean spirit comes and, and cries out, I know who you are, and Jesus says, oh, be quiet come out of him it comes out of him and everyone's going oh my goodness not only was his teaching amazing but now he just did that so word begins to spread about him we don't have time to read all of the stories and on the passages that we're covering today but right after this they leave the synagogue and it's as if peter comes up to jesus and peter goes hey we live right around the corner. My mother-in-law is sick. Could you do something? And Jesus goes, let's go. And so they head to Peter's mother-in-law's house. Now, props to Peter here. I mean, this just shows he had a good relationship with his wife, because he wants to heal his mother-in-law. He could have been like, honey, I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do. We've tried everything. She's passing. But no, instead, he goes, hey Jesus, come over here, we gotta, and so what does Jesus do? Jesus goes, okay, he goes over, he lifts up, the fever leaves the mother-in-law, and everybody in town hears about it, so they crowd this house, and, and the popularity of Jesus is overwhelming. It's flooding this house, Jesus is gaining in so much popularity. And what is happening here? What are these miracles showing? It's showing that Jesus has authority over the supernatural. It shows that Jesus' authority over the supernatural reveals that the kingdom of God is actually here, that the kingdom of God is actually being ushered in. Now, If you remember, if you were with us a couple weeks ago, we started this Gospel Fluency um, series. And so Tim Bubar was up here a couple weeks ago, and he read in Mark chapter 1. And in verse 15, Mark, the, the author Mark, lays out the whole premise of the book in Mark chapter 1 verse 15 when he says this. Jesus is saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe In the gospel repent and believe in the good news Jesus is saying I'm ushering in a new kingdom it's nothing like what you know and experience now now I got to give you a little insight into my head and I had a friend last night come up and he's like when you said that I was like I'm not sure I want to (laughs) go inside your head and when I think of the word kingdom we don't use the word kingdom a lot do we I mean, we don't have a king. What is kingdom language? And here's, I grew up in Southern California, and when I think of kingdom, my natural tendency and thought is the magic kingdom. I grew up an hour and 15 minutes south of Disneyland, and I remember when I was a little kid, one of my first times ever going to Disneyland. Disneyland. I remember walking up and we parked. We had to park way far away. We walk up, we get, we wait in line at the ticket booth. And then, once you get your tickets, then you walk through this little toll station thing. You show them your ticket and you walk in. And it's like being transported to another time in another place. Because right in front of you, right there is Mickey Mouse. And you're like, oh my gosh. And as a little kid, you're going, this is incredible. And you look behind Mickey Mouse and there's a grass hillside right there. And in the hillside, there's an outline of Mickey Mouse's head. And Mickey Mouse's head is just these beautiful flowers. Then you look over to the right and there is Mary Poppins band playing. And there's like these guys playing the trumpet and stuff. And it's like, Oh my gosh, you walk further into the park, and what happens? You see the castle, and you hear all the rides, and you smell all the foods. You are being transported into a different time, a different place. The rules are different there. I mean, everything is different when you walk into Disneyland as a kid. It's a whole new world. It's totally different than anything you experience in the normal, everyday world that you live in. As an adult, I had the privilege, I've still lived in Southern California, I brought my kids, and it changes when you're an adult. It moves from the magic kingdom to the most expensive kingdom on the planet Earth. And so that's really what happens. But, so, so here's, a, that's a little glimpse into my head. Now, okay, I don't need an email from you saying the kingdom of God is like Disneyland. I don't, I'm not saying that, okay? So please don't email me and be like, the kingdom of God is so much different and better than Disneyland. I agree, yes, 100%. But I want us to think about something. Just as Disneyland, is a, as a, especially as a kid, is a totally different place. It's different rules, it's, different, it's a different food, it's different everything. The people are different, everything is different there. Jesus is ushering in a totally different kingdom. It's an upside down kingdom. It's totally and wholly other than anything that people would know, experience, or imagine. Jesus brought that in and he was showing it by the miracles that he was doing. Him showing authority over the supernatural tells us what the kingdom of God is actually like. He was actually revealing what life in a new kingdom looks like. Now I want us to think back all the way to Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 there was a perfect world. Humans walked with God. There was nothing separating him. Genesis chapter 3 we get the introduction of sin. That people said we can do life better without you. We can figure it out on our own and they went their own way and the effects of sin brought about sin or sin brought about disease, death, chaos into our world, didn't it? And here's what Jesus does he's ushering in a new kingdom and he's showing us what life in this new kingdom is like. And how does he show us what life in the new kingdom is like? He brings about healings. We're gonna see that he'll raise people from the dead all the effects of sin are being reversed as Jesus ushers in the new kingdom. He's going, you're used to chaos, you're used to death, you're used to destruction, and I'm coming and I'm bringing life, I'm bringing healing, I'm bringing order to the chaos. And so Jesus is reversing the effects. And I don't know about you, but I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, this kingdom is not like anything that we know or experience here. But here's what's the awesome part, is that this kingdom that Jesus is ushering in collides with our kingdom, and friends, we live in the messy middle of that, that we are citizens of the kingdom of God through faith, that we, our residence is not here, our residence is not on the earth, our residence is a heavenly residence, and yet we live here now. We live in the messy middle of a kingdom that is already revealed because of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, already revealed there, but not yet fully realized, and one day it will be. You know what else this amazes me about just these couple stories that we've read so far? Who are the only things that recognize Jesus in this passage? The demons. The demons are the ones that recognize and know exactly who Jesus is. Look at what they say in in Mark chapter 1, verse 24. The demons cry out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons cry out, I know who you are, you're Jesus. Why do the demons recognize Jesus? A lot of scholars believe that ever before the creation of the world, there was a spiritual rebellion that took place in heaven, and there was a casting out of those who rebelled against Jesus. And so now we have these demons who are still around, they look and they recognize Jesus from we don't know how long before, and they're sitting there and they go, we know you, You're Jesus of Nazareth. You cast us out once already, and now we know you have the authority to absolutely destroy us. Are you going to destroy us now? You know what I find amazing by that? Is that when you think about uh, our horror movies today, Think about like the things that scare us most and a lot of times it's like these demonic kind of things and the demons and people's heads spinning around and all this crazy weird stuff that freaks us out. That scares us but those very demons are scared to death of Jesus Christ. They're scared to death of him. They know exactly who he is. They remember him from the time he cast him out the first time and they look at Jesus and they go, please don't destroy us. I don't know if you realize who we worship. We worship Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the king over the natural, the supernatural. He's king over it all. He's king and has authority over the spiritual realm, including demons, so the very thing that we're scared of, they are more freaked out of Jesus than we should ever be scared of them. That's good news. The story continues. In Mark chapter one, starting in verse 35. So, Jesus has gained in popularity. Things are going incredible. And it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So, you see what's happening here. Peter gets up the next morning, and he's like, man, it's time to go do some more. Yeah, this is awesome. We're gaining in popularity. He go- I imagine, this is just my imagination. He goes and knocks on Jesus' door, and he's like, hey, it's time to get up. People are already gathering. And he's like, he opens the door, Jesus gone. And so the other disciples come over, and Peter's like, hey, have you seen Jesus? And they're like, no, isn't he in his room? Is he still sleeping? No, no, he's not there. Well, where is he? And they go find him and Jesus is off by himself praying and I can see Peter going, hey, 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 everyone is here, everyone's waiting for you. This is awesome. And I'll just tell you once again from a pastor's heart, this ministry that we read right here in Mark chapter one, this is like every pastor's dream where all of a sudden you preach and then there's like no more room. Everyone's crowding in. They're like, this is incredible. We can't wait. We need to invite a whole town. This is a pastor and church planter's dream. And what does Jesus do? Hey, it's time to move on. It's time to move on. Because Jesus understands something about prayer is that our prayers ground us in the supernatural. Supernatural. Our prayers keep us rooted in the supernatural. And so what was Jesus doing? Jesus in the midst of his gaining popularity, Jesus in the midst of of having crowds come, and in the midst of the healing, he escapes to be alone with his Father, why? Because he needed to align his heart with the Father's heart, because Jesus knew his mission. His mission was not to come and just show people a spectacular show. His mission was to give his life as a ransom for the many. That was his mission. And it would have been tempting for him to just to gain a kingdom, to build his kingdom, not through death, but to build his kingdom by showing people spectacular and just building a crowd that way. But what does he do? He escapes and he cries out to his father and is, keeps, he keeps his focus, he keeps his mission. He aligns his heart with his father's heart. And I don't know about you, but if Jesus does that, how much more do we Prayer aligns our heart with the Father. Prayer aligns our mission with what the Father has asked us to do. And so when we get away and pray, we align our hearts. We become in tune with who God is. Jesus modeled that for us. He shows us that. And if he needed to do it, how much more do we need to do it? Prayer does something else as well. And I'm gonna talk just for a couple of minutes on something that, uh, I'll be honest with you, I don't fully get it. But our prayers impact the spiritual realm. There is a natural world. Everything that we can see, taste, touch, smell, hear, our five senses, that's the world that we live in. But just as real is a spiritual realm that is taking place all around us. It is happening. And to deny it would be to live uh, kind of with your head under a rock. We live in the natural and the supernatural. And our prayers make a difference in the supernatural and the spiritual realm. How do I know that? Because the scripture tells us. We went through the book of Ephesians as a church, and the book of Ephesians is all about the spiritual realm and yet you get to chapter six, and, and Paul, it's almost like Paul's going, if you didn't pick it up before, we're in a spiritual battle. And in Ephesians chapter six, verse 12, he says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so he sets that up and he goes, we are in a battle, so we need to gear up. And so he goes through, and many of you, if you've grown up in church, you've you've known these. He says, suit up, put on the whole armor of God. And he says, put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith, put on the helmet of salvation, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And he's going, we suit up for battle and oftentimes we stop there. And we put on those things and we we get our feet fitted and we put on the breastplate of righteousness and we got the belt of truth and we put on all these things and we miss what he closes that whole section with. And in verse 18, he says this, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. It's almost like he's, he's wrapping up this whole argument, and he's going, listen, there's a spiritual reality, there's a spiritual battle, so suit up, put on the armor. You've got to know the word of God. You've got to know the gospel. You've got to know the salvation that is yours, but pray, 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 pray. Pray with all kinds of prayers. Pray for me also. That's what Paul writes. Prayer is the thing that undergirds all of it, and he's going, you gotta pray. Why? Because when we pray, God moves. We were in a, I was actually talking to a friend of mine recently, and they were taking care of a family member, and, and uh, they'd been praying for this family member. They were praying, praying, God, would you show me how? How are you gonna provide? And, and they have been praying, 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 and this last week, God showed up in ways that they never expected or imagined. God showed up powerfully. And they were blown away and they're telling us a story and tears are coming to their eyes and they're going, oh my gosh, God did something that is so incredible and provided in ways that are so incredible. And I gotta be honest, the skeptic comes out in me. And I even asked the question, I wasn't trying to be rude, but I even asked the question, do you think that this would have worked out the same way if you hadn't prayed? Do you think this would have just happened? I mean, God is almighty, right? God is gonna do what God wants to do, and so would this have worked out the same way if you hadn't prayed? And I had to come to the conclusion, no, I don't think it would have, why? because our prayers impact the spiritual realm. Do I fully understand it? No, do I understand how the prayers of a a righteous person impacts the heart of God? Do I understand how the prayers of a, a lowly man here on this earth will impact things in the spiritual realm? Do I fully understand it? No, I don't, and I gotta be honest with you, oftentimes I fail to engage in the battle of prayer because I don't understand it. And I have to wonder, how many times have I missed out? How many times has God been longing to answer a prayer? How, long, how many times has God been longing to move, but because I need, think I need to understand everything of the way the Lord works, that I just don't engage in it? And I don't know if you're like me, but this has been a kick in my pants a little bit of going, I need to engage, do I fully get it? No, but I need to pray. And I need to pray about the things that are little. I need to pray about the things that are big. Why? Because prayer impacts the spiritual realm. Our prayers move the heart of God. Do I fully understand that? No, but I know that the scripture teaches it and I know I need to be obedient to it. Prayer moves. The story continues. Finally, we're gonna see this. Now, now, if you're over, I'm gonna say 35 years old, you probably, and you grew up in church, you probably remember flannel graphs. Does anyone remember flannel graphs? This story right here, I actually very clearly remember the flannel graph story of this. It's in, it's in Mark chapter two, and it's a story of a man who's paralyzed. He can't walk and Jesus is back in Capernaum and he's teaching and once again he's in a house and these houses aren't that big and the town's not that big but the house is packed, so many people and so these four guys, friends of this paralytic hear that Jesus is in town, they know he's a miracle worker so they're like, hey, let's see if we can get this guy in front of Jesus and maybe Jesus can heal him and so they put him on a mat, they begin carrying him And they bring him to the house where Jesus is at, but the house is so crowded, so packed, they can't get in. They didn't give up what did they do? They went up, they walked around, they got up on the roof of the house. Now, you got to understand roofs in the first century BC, kind of like this time frame when Jesus is. And here's what happened, is that the house would have been a flat roof, and it would have been made out of mud and sticks and that kind of stuff. And the mud would harden and turn into like this plaster. You could walk on it because oftentimes in the evening to cool off, they would go up on the roof of the house. So here they go. They go up on the roof. They start cutting a hole in the ceiling on the roof. You know how messy that would be? Could you imagine Jesus? He's standing there teaching and all of a sudden dirt's falling on his head and a stick falls on his head and he's like, ah. Everyone in the room and all of a sudden they get the hole big enough and they lower the guy. Now, I mean, enter the story here for a minute. This is a real story. This really happened. What do you do if you're the paralytic and you're lowered in front of Jesus? Like, hey. <laughs> like, what do you say? I... I <laughs> these are the things i think about and you're like you're not un- you're very unspiritual but the story picks up in verse 5 let's get back to the scripture let's see what it says and when jesus saw their faith he didn't just see the faith of the paralytic man he saw the faith of the guys who i assume and the flannel graph said so they're peeking down through the they're peeking down through the roof did he make it <laughs> And when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, once again, this is weird. Can we just acknowledge this is weird? The paralytic's in front of Jesus. He's like, hey, what's going on? And Jesus looks at him and he says something that I don't think the paralytic was expecting. He looks at him and goes, son, your sins are forgiven. He's like, cool, can I walk or like, is that a thing? And Jesus continues. but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So they lower the paralytic. Jesus looks at him and goes, son, your sins are forgiven. And he did that on purpose. He knew the scribes were sitting there going, Who is this guy? Only God can forgive sins. Now, I wanna take a small side note. There's a lot of people in our culture and our world who say Jesus never actually claimed to be God. Yes, he did. He knew exactly what the scribes were thinking. He knew that the scribes are going, he's a blasphemer, only God can forgive sins, and Jesus doesn't shy away from that. He actually steps further into it, doesn't he? Now, why did he do this? Son, your sins are forgiven. I can say that. I can look at Mike and go, Mike, your sins are forgiven. And the rest of you who are even watching on the stream, you might be going, what just happened? And I think the rest of the crowd, when Jesus looks at this man and goes, son, your sins are forgiven, I think they probably went and went, how do we we know? And so Jesus looks at him and goes, take your bed, get up and walk. Jesus is proving that he has authority. He is the king over the natural and the supernatural. He is king over both. Isn't that good news? Jesus is king. He's king over everything we see on this earth. He's king over it all. He's king over all of our physical ailments. He's king over all of that. He's king over the spiritual realm, everything, our sins being forgiven. He's king over that. He has authority over those things. He's king, and he's ushering in a new kingdom, and guess what? He's inviting us to be part of that kingdom, He's inviting us into a new kingdom where he says, Guess what? You don't have to be king of you. I am true king. Now, I want us to think about something here just for a moment. I think a lot of these people that we are reading about came to Jesus because they wanted a show. Don't you think? They came to Jesus because they wanted to show. Word about Jesus spread and they're like, there's this healer in town. He's doing these incredible things. And I think they gained in popularity because people came and they're like, what cool trick is he gonna do next? They came to Jesus because they had needs. And the truth is, every single one of us who have submitted our life to Jesus came to Jesus because we had a need. When I was 10 years old, I was, remember, I believed in Jesus, and why? Because I was presented, you can go to heaven where Jesus is, or you can go to another place where he's not. And I remember thinking, well, I have a need, I want to go there, not there. And so I believed in Jesus, and these people had needs, and they came, they had a need for healing, they had a need for, for uh, getting rid of demons, they had needs and so they wanted to check out Jesus and I think there's a lot of people who show up in churches because they have needs and then what happens is Jesus meets them in that need but there has to be a transformation. There has to be a movement to move from I'm following Jesus because of what he can do for me to I'm following Jesus because he's the king regardless of my needs. There has to be a transition. And you know what happens in this story in the Gospels? His popularity grows, 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 grows because people come for their needs and then Jesus actually begins describing how to enter this new kingdom and he says the only way to enter the new kingdom is by dying to yourself. And they went, wait, 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 what? I gotta die to myself? Yes, that's the only way to enter the kingdom. Oh, and if you want, my kingdom is so upside down and backwards that if you wanna be great in my kingdom, you gotta become a servant of all. Oh, and if you want to be in my kingdom, you gotta die to yourself daily. And people started going, ooh, maybe that's not for me. And I see people in our world, and I've talked to many people throughout my years of ministry, and they say, I tried Christianity, it didn't work for me. Friends, we don't try Christianity. Jesus doesn't work for us. Jesus is king and he invites us into his kingdom. The problem is when we reduce faith and the good news to a prayer, we invite Jesus into our life. Friends, that's backwards, that's upside down. We don't invite Jesus into our life, he invites us into his. He says, submit your life to me, and it's there you'll find life. It's there you'll find an abundant life. So let's be honest, building our own kingdom, it's exhausting. Building a name for ourselves is exhausting, why? Because there's never enough power, there's never enough prestige, there's never enough money, there's never enough a big enough house, there's never enough toys, and you keep building your kingdom and it's exhausting and it's never enough. And Jesus says, stop striving, come to me, surrender, bend your knee to me as king, and you're gonna find life. That's good news. That is good news, so what are our next steps this week as we head into this week? The first is this, surrender your life to King Jesus. Surrender your life to the King, the King that's over the natural, the King that's over the supernatural. Have you done things in your life that you're ashamed of? Have you done things in your life that you regret? Have you done what the Bible calls sin? Yep, and guess what, you're not alone. If you look to your right and to your left, you're looking at a sinner. And if you keep looking straight forward, whether on the screen or in this room, you're looking at a sinner. Somebody who's blown it and who continues to blow it. And the gospel is is that Jesus saves us and he transforms us. Jesus did live a life, he lived a perfect life, something that we could never do. He willingly went to a cross where he took the punishment that my sin, that your sin deserves, and he was killed because of it. And guess what? Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't contain him. He rose again, and he gives us new life. And that is a spiritual reality, the fact that Jesus wants to bring us from death to life And he extends that to you today. And he's going, just surrender to me as king. Surrender to me as your Lord. Quit the striving. Quit trying to build up your own kingdom because your own kingdom will be never enough. But my kingdom is more than enough. And so today, does a prayer save you? No, but a prayer is the start of a journey of following Jesus. And so actually, I'm gonna give us a chance right now in a room this size, if you're watching in any of our other venues or campuses, I just wanna pray with you right now that maybe you're in here and maybe for the first time you came on a Father's Day weekend and you're like, I need to to bend my knee to King Jesus. I need to surrender my life to him. We're just gonna talk to him. That's called prayer, that's a supernatural thing, that we get to talk with the God of the universe. And he listens, and guess what? He responds. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you are a God, a king over the natural, the supernatural, that you have all authority to forgive sins, you have all authority to heal, to usher in a new kingdom. And if you're listening to my voice, whether in this room or online or in another venue, and you've never bent your knee to King Jesus, I'm gonna give you an invitation to bend your knee, to submit your life to Jesus as king. And so if you've never done that, and you're like, I don't know what to do, would you just tell him, Jesus, I surrender to you. I've been trying to build my own kingdom. I've been trying to make a name for myself. And Jesus, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, so I wave the white flag of surrender to you. You are king. I want to follow you. If there's anything else on your heart that you just want to tell him, just tell him. Your own words. Father, thank you that you hear us. Thank you that I don't know how, but our prayers move things in the spiritual realm. They move things in the supernatural. God, thank you for hearing our prayers, it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If that's you or if you're watching in another venue, another campus, please do not leave today without letting somebody know on your bulletin, on the front of your bulletin, if you wanna just fill that out, maybe you got something to do right after this, right on the inside of that, you can tear that off and it just says, I prayed to receive Christ today. If you can write your name, your contact information, we'd love to follow up with you to give you a Bible to to encourage you, because the truth is we need we. We need each other. We're not called to walk this faith journey alone. We'll have prayer teams in all of our campuses, all of our venues up here after service. I'll be around, your campus pastors, your venue hosts will be around. If you wanna talk to them, please don't walk away without letting somebody know. We would love to pray with you. We would love to come alongside and support you. The second next step is this. There's so much in here, this is so exciting. I love the Book of Mark. Here's why I love the Book of Mark. It uses the word immediately, like all the time. Yeah. Okay, I said this last night, I'm gonna say it again. We got time, that's okay. Um, I saw Avatar, The Way of Water. Has anyone ever seen that movie? Um, Some of you are too spiritual, you're like, no. (laughs) I didn't, Dave, or you're not willing to admit it. I watched that movie, I walked out of it, I'm like, that thing drug on for so long, it was boring. And some of you are sitting there going, what? I didn't watch it in 3D, IMAX and all that stuff, I just watched it on a normal screen. It drug on. The book of Mark doesn't. There's never a dull point in the book of Mark. The book of Mark's like, and Jesus went here, and then immediately went here, and immediately a demon-possessed man came, and immediately, and I'm like, wow, 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 wow. It's awesome. So there's a lot there's stories in here that we didn't have a chance to read. So I'm in our live it out section. You're gonna have a chance to go through a little bit slower. So I'm gonna encourage you, do the live it out section so that we can follow King Jesus together. Amen. So here's what we're gonna do in all of our venues, all of our campuses. We're gonna stand and we're gonna worship that King together. So let's pray, Father. Thank you that you are King. Thank you that you are Lord over the natural, the supernatural. And so we want to do a supernatural thing now, and we want to lift your name high in praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.